0: UFO Thinker Podcast Hello, my name's Frank and I'm the host of the UFO Thinker Podcast. I'd always been mildly interested in UFOs, but like many people, the events of 2017 ignited a fire of curiosity for the UFO topic, which has been raging ever since. I wanted to start a podcast, but initially thought, well, I'm not an astrophysicist, I'm not a fighter pilot, and I've never even seen a UFO, I'm just a normal guy who's interested in this mystery, but that's when a light bulb went off. There are so many other people, just like me, who are fascinated with this stuff, so why not start a podcast to talk about it from the ordinary guy's perspective? All the BS stripped away, as a few people have said, and let's see if we can get to the truth in all of this. Thanks to everyone who's been on board with the journey so far. It's been amazing to see so many listeners tuning in. And if you're new here, welcome. You can now support the podcast on Patreon, with tiers starting from £3 per month. The podcast will always be 100% free. But supporting the show in this way allows me to devote more time and make the show bigger and better. Higher tiers also include special benefits such as being able to suggest episode topics and get merchandise. And I really truly appreciate every listener whether you support on Patreon or not. So now with all of that said, let's get into today's episode. Okay, so I'd like to welcome back to the show Frank Milburn. How are you today Frank? Hi, Frank. Nice to be back, Nick. Cheers. Pleasure. So today we're going to be talking about Havana syndrome in particular, as it's an area that we've both been kind of looking at recently. And there's also some intriguing suggestions from certain people about a a possible link with UAP, uh, which we'll we'll get to later. Um, But first of all, if you don't mind, Frank, maybe just you could talk about a little bit about your understanding about what Havana syndrome actually is. What are we actually looking at here?
1: Sure. Um, There's been quite a lot of confusion, uh, mainly because there's been um, so much stuff uh, put out in the press about it, really, since kind of like 2016. But the original kind of Havana syndrome symptoms, um, which were kind of like, you know, nausea, dizziness, people could hear things like, you know, tinnitus ringing in the ears um, and other kind of like which developed into kind of like neurological disorders, problems with sleeping Uh, Some people, you know, feeling very unwell. These were symptoms that were noticed um, not only by U.S. embassy staff uh, based in Havana, Cuba, but also by uh, Canadian um, embassy staff. And there was actually there were actually two uh, papers which were written about it. One was written by um, uh, an American um, group, a panel of experts, and there was another one which the Canadians produced, although they came to, to some different conclusions. Um, but then this these uh, symptoms were then noticed in uh, other kind of um, embassy stations around the world including uh, like Tashkent and also uh, in um, China um, where it got confusing is that uh, there's been initially um, some sort of different responses coming from different departments in, in the in the US government and there was actually a a report which was written, declassified, which was written by the State Department, which was actually saying that there was a, a sort of a failure of leadership at the high levels of the State Department in dealing with the specific cases as they applied to Havana, um, uh, Cuba, the actual location, um, and that the kind of interagency response to it had been siloed. So we've kind of heard that before. Um, so it was quite a, quite a scathing report and it made some kind of recommendations for how things should be done better. It did actually say that the um, security Um, procedures which were in place by uh, you know the the Bureau of Diplomatic Security um, which is basically a federal organization uh, which works directly for the State Department which looks after counterintelligence and protection of their of their uh, assets and employees overseas of the State Department excuse me Um, it said that the security procedures in place had been adequate but um, there was uh, you know the the kind of scathing report on, uh, on the kind of the high level leadership approach to it.
0: Yeah. And and is it, as far as you're aware, is it um, mostly U S like diplomats and, and overseas staff and things that are actually being targeted, or is there examples of, um, you know, other, other nations as well being targeted by it?
1: Apart from the, I haven't heard um, anybody being targeted apart from, Um, the uh, Canadians and the Americans. Okay. Um, But this is something that's been going on for quite a long time. I mean, uh, Bob Maguire, who was at the Institute for defense analysis for 27 years. And a lot of people will know him from various podcasts that he's done science, Bob Maguire. So he was at the Institute for defense analysis for 27 years, which provides technical expertise amongst other things to the American intelligence community. Now we'd had some private conversations before, um, and I, obviously, I kept them private. But then um, after the recent uh, darkness radio, um, I did a deep dive. Well, we did a deep dive on on, on Havana syndrome. Um, Bob Maguire actually said, uh, uh, when I was at our embassy on Twitter, he said, when I was at our embassy in the 1990s, we were flooded with microwaves, etc. Now, I did a bit of research on that. Um, and there was actually um, a former U- U.S. ambassador, um, and he was talking about this very issue in the 1990s. But there was still some kind of speculation as to um, whether this microwave radiation, whether it was uh, trying to activate some kind of like listening devices inside the embassy, whether it was trying to block signals um, from uh, intelligence gathering equipment that the US embassy itself had uh, on the roof of the embassy to intercept Russian signals, or whether it was uh, deliberately being deliberately used as a, as a weapon. Um, now, it's quite interesting as well, I mean, in the Moscow cases, because um, both American and Canadian diplomats from that time um, have reported having illnesses. I mean, that, you know, being, being, made, being made ill by this kind of like weird syndrome that nobody could figure out um, in their residential areas where they live. So on the one side of the street, you'd have, you know, uh, you'd have housing for American diplomats. And on the other side of the street, you'd have housing for um, Canadian diplomats. And um, you know they've had some quite debilitating uh, diseases. Um, sorry, some quite debilitating illnesses since that time.
0: Yeah, something we'd mentioned a little bit about before we started recording is the uh, cases over the years of of like listening devices um, actually being impregnated into the walls of buildings and things like that. Um, so, do you think there's a, a possibility of? The something else actually being impregnated into the the walls of buildings as well, perhaps some kind of weaponry.
1: I think I'm look. I, I'm I don't have the technical expertise to to make that kind of um, qualification, but I believe that uh, anything is really possible. I believe certainly. Um, I've been told by scientists, uh, you know, that routers, phones, the frequencies can be changed um, in them um, to produce uh, more dangerous. Um, uh, signals effectively that that, that that resonate in the body and affect uh, and affect tissues um I also checked with uh, some different engineers actually after I think it was the at um, it was that UFO podcast after we were talked about Havana syndrome on that as well and i uh, I actually got an email from a Um, a subsidiary of of basically a global aerospace and defense firm saying that they were very interested in it right in Havana syndrome Um, and that they they said we like to keep abreast of such things and uh, their engineers actually came up Um, I I got about three page three or four pages um, from um, these engineers at this company giving their opinions on on Havana syndrome now excuse me some were saying uh, that no um, the frequencies of phones or routers couldn't be boosted sufficiently. But then there was another who said, yes, they, they could. Um, so I think even within, um, you know, sort of, a, you know, scientifically minded people that there's different sort of opinion on it. Um, but it's absolutely fascinating the fact that a an aerospace and defense company, people from that company got in touch with me to talk about Havana syndrome. So um, just goes to show that there's interest in that world. Um, but uh, I've been told that By people who do work in, you know, aerospace and defense, and people who do consult uh, have consulted on UAP projects. That um, Havana Syndrome is something very, very real. uh, That it's not acoustic. um, That it is actually, um, you know, directed microwave energy, and it's literally used to uh, to to fry uh, the victims concerned.
0: Yeah. So, is it is it pretty much definitely a, a weapon? being used in, in your opinion I mean, I've, I've heard a few people mentioning on on twitter etc you know that the physical effects being experienced by these victims could be possibly a side effect of some kind of advanced surveillance techniques and you kind of touched on that before that you know there might be listening devices around the place and then various different waves may be used to actually activate those devices and perhaps those waves could actually be you know a, a side effect you know, of what's actually causing the the uh, the effects experienced by the victims? Do you think there's any truth to that, or do, or do you think we're looking at more like an actual weapon that's deliberately targeting people with the intent to cause harm?
1: Well, let's look at um let's let's look at what uh, some experts say. Um, okay, so you had this uh, 2020 um, assessment, uh, yeah, from the National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine, uh, which was. Uh, basically, a uh, a group of experts, um, uh, neuro- neurological experts, medical experts in general. Um, and they wrote this report, an assessment of illness in U.S. government employees and their families at overseas embassies. So they were brought in basically by, by the U.S. government to check this out. OK, so their conclusions were, um, and if we just go to the, um, they said, a constellation of acute clinical signal, sorry a constellation of acute clinical signs and symptoms with directional and location specific features that was distinctive to its knowledge this constellation of clinical features is unlike any disorder in the neurological or general medical literature okay so then they go on to say After considering the information available to it and a set of possible mechanisms, the committee felt that many of the distinctive and acute signs, symptoms and observations reported by Department of State employees are consistent with the effects of directed pulsed radio uh, frequency. Um, Studies published in the open literature more than half a century ago and over the subsequent decades by Western and Soviet sources provide circumstantial support for this possible mechanism. And then they say, such as a possible source of directed pulsed RF energy and exact circumstances of the putative exposures, the mere consideration of such a scenario raises grave concerns about a world with disinhibited malevolent actors and new tools for causing harm to others, as if the US government does not have its hands full already with naturally occurring threats. But then it says, because the committee was not able to assess specific scenarios involving malevolent actors, one strong suggestion is that follow-up studies on this topic be undertaken by subject matter experts with proper clearance, including those who work outside the US government. So I think if you kind of, <laughs> they're pretty clear there that they think that, they're, that they're, it's a, um, it involves malign actors and that therefore it's being used as a weapon. I mean, that's, that's my takeaway from it. Um, Sorry, go ahead. But uh, also, I've got another quote from somebody else. Um, Yeah, go ahead. They actually said, I'm just trying to find it now. Um, A scientist that I spoke to, they said, Russia has been hitting a select list of US scientists with sublethal nerve agent dosed and directed energy weapon attacks for at least the past 30 years. They fully realized that leaving a trail of dead bodies would force a public investigation and force an international incident. So the strategy has been to employ sublethal tactics that simply wreck your health and make you dramatically less productive without actually killing you. It's slow murder that is roughly equivalent to actual torture. So, you know, that's from a that's from a scientist um, who's invested quite a lot of time uh, looking into it. But um, I think the the U.S. government they uh, are reluctant, obviously, to. Um, to pin the blame, uh, or to point fingers as, as specifically as well, if um, these attacks are indeed occurring on American soil, because that effectively would be an act of war, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's some pretty scary stuff, isn't it? To think about. I mean, it's it's a, a new a new era of of kind of warfare isn't it really the 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 various different things that we're seeing evolve obviously you'll be a lot more knowledgeable in, in that area than than myself but do you think we'll see you know as warfare kind of evolves that these kind of tactics will be employed more and more now
1: i think very much so um but i mean i've been told by scientists that this is nothing new um that um at least from the 60s and the 70s that the uh both, you know, that the Soviets and also, um, you know, some Western countries were looking at, um, you know, using these types of weapons. But um, it's really a kind of extension of, uh, it's an extension of the playbook where you, uh, a malevolent actor, uh, if, if it indeed is a malevolent actor, right, where a malevolent actor operates kind of in the gray zone, like short of direct conflict. Because as that scientist said, you know, if you leave a trail of bodies, I, you know, if you went and, if you went and shot like a lot of people and left a, tra- a trail of dead bo- a, uh, trail of dead scientists, then that would be fairly obvious. But this way, you can stay in the kind of gray zone and have kind of a plausible deniability and, um, a- and just kind of wreak your havoc slowly over time. That's what's scary about it for me.
0: Yeah. So if we're talking about a, a state actor, is there any, I mean, you've mentioned there, obviously, you know, the Russians and things like that is that kind of the the best estimation as to who's behind this? Or do you think there could be multiple state actors at play? Um,
1: well, I mean, who who would have the technology to either, um, you know, hack your phones, hack your routers, or, or create, you know, a portable device that's small enough, but powerful enough, um, you know, to be able to uh, be carried around in a vehicle. Yeah. So there's, probably you know a fair few countries in the world that have the technology to do that uh, in terms of my line actors certainly i'd be looking at uh, you know russia china but also um, you know countries like iran as well and um, you know also cuba potentially i mean um, you know i'm told that now the the method of choice uh, for these kind of directed energy weapon attacks is, is kind of like the hacking route because you don't have to be for example in a vehicle outside a building uh you know pointing a device at somebody um you know it'll or be or, or or trying to beam it through a building um you can you don't have to be anywhere in the vicinity you can hack them from you know beijing or moscow that's what i'm taught.
0: yeah i've heard i've heard you mention uh, this kind of thing on on other interviews about havana syndrome about the the hacked you know technology and things like that there's been a little bit of mention about handheld devices, possible devices, and maybe even like a satellite you know element to all of this as well do you think all of those are possibilities or do you think there's any of those that you can rule out or any that are more more likely than others So
1: can you just repeat the um the the, the different ones you were talking about?
0: yeah so like hacked home or office technology like hacked electronics um also like a, a potentially a handheld actually like weapon device that you can take from one location to another to, to actually target somebody and maybe even a satellite element as well
1: yeah i mean i'm told uh pretty much all of the above um i've been told that the soviets um were um had or with were, were developing um you know, a sort of a directed energy weapons that could be used from space. Um, I'm also, I was also told actually by those engineers from the aerospace and defense company um, that, um, you know, kind of everyday office equipment, whether it's computers, printers, whatever, you know, you can you can hack all of those things um, or even uh, hard, hardwire things into them. Um, <clears throat> I was told by one scientist as well, Um, who works in aerospace and defense that um, they discovered that uh, a kind of like an everyday piece of equipment that you'd expect to find in a laboratory um, had been hacked with some kind of code as well. And they found out because um, when they were checking it, they got some kind of a a message and it was in Russian and it was basically an update message in Russian on their equipment. So, yeah. So, and that's how they, they found out about it. Um, but, uh, I mean, the hacking is a big, big factor as well. I see it as part of, you know, as part of a playbook that hostile actors use, um, you know, to, to operate in the gray zone. So the, the hacking is um, for the most sophisticated actors. You're talking, you know, who'd have the capability to do that, you know, UK, uh, USA, Israel, Russia, China, certainly, France, uh, probably Germany as well, uh, Japan, you know the countries with, with with those kind of technology because the the hacking at a distance is going to be the preferred method because then you don't have to physically have your own um, you know your own officers your own operatives uh, in line of sight to the target or anywhere near the target you know you, you can you can uh, you can wreak your havoc from uh, you know from from thousands of miles away.
0: Yeah, I, I, speaking of like the um, the the UK and the US having the capability to do this kind of thing, um. I've I've heard you talking before on another interview about how there was an effort to hack into um I think was it a nuclear power station to overheat some cooling rods or something I can't remember the the specific <clears throat> uh, Yeah was, that was, was the that-
1: um that was the Stuxnet virus um that was the Americans and the Israelis right back in 2010 uh they introduced this uh um this computer virus basically that caused the iranian centrifuges uh in one of their in one of their facilities to basically um spin out of control and basically speed up so fast that they literally kind of like you know um rip themselves apart so um that's a that's a very famous hack um and there have been other similar things um that, that have been done since then to the Iranians and really I mean you know the Western playbook isn't really that much different I mean um, the Americans and the Israelis didn't want the the Iranians to get uh, you know they don't want them to get nukes so they came up with this hack but also as well I mean there's been a lot of uh, you know high-profile assassinations of you um, of Iranian uh, scientists involved in their nuclear program, you know, uh, you know, two guys on a motorbike pull up next to a vehicle in traffic and put like a limpet, a limpet mine or sticky bomb uh, on the side of the vehicle. Uh, there was a recent one, um, and and the Israelis they, they they don't confirm or deny any of this, right? They just say that they will take all measures to make sure that Iran doesn't get a uh, doesn't get a nuke. But there was a re- uh, recently high profile case outside Tehran. Where um, there was a mobile, uh, like a remotely controlled gun platform, that uh, that, that took out uh, this convoy that was carrying um, a, a high-profile nuclear scientist. So this isn't just uh, like a Russian playbook. Okay, they've been heavily involved into it. I mean, if you go back to, uh, if we look at Georgi Markov, right in 1978, he was killed. He was he, he was he was a uh, um, stabbed with a poison umbrella on um, on London Bridge, and the case, he he was a. Uh, a Bulgarian dissident but the KGB helped his country's intelligence services they provided I believe the the, the, the umbrella the means to do it then you had the Alexander Litvinenko poisoning in 2006 uh, in London so he was poisoned with a radio uh, radioactive isotope in his t- that was put in his tea which is an absolutely horrible way to die I mean the guy took I think days or weeks to die of like radiation poisoning um then you had the, the, the skripal case in 2018 where, where you know some bodies were dropped and uh, which, which which involved the russian gru their military intelligence using a, a nerve agent then you had um, navalny uh, you know the political dissident he was poisoned in russia in 2020 and remember that was with the nerve agent as well he spent a long time he's been i think 3 months in uh, in germany recovering before going back to russia and now he's banged up in the gulag so you know these these methods are not just to preserve of hostile actors um, you know the, the 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 West have used similar kind of means as well. if you're desperate enough to stop somebody to interrupt somebody's uh, program uh, or to take out key people, then you will use um, you know all means necessary.
0: Yeah. And, and you have to think that that's going to be more and more widespread as, as time goes along. Like you said earlier, it's like, why would you risk putting actual humans in harm's way if you can hack into the electronics and then essentially turn that electronics, you know, around to be an offensive weapon? You don't have to be anywhere near the actual area of operations, do you? I mean, it's you've got to think when, when we talk about Tesla self-driving cars and all these kinds of things, the more of those day-to-day objects we have around us that we rely on and, and being computer controlled and things. If you're driving a, a Tesla self-driving car and somebody can find a way of actually hacking into the, the, the computer of your car itself, surely they could just drive you off a cliff or something. Do you think things like that are going to be more widespread as we go along?
1: Well, I, th- I mean, I, I think that we're already there. I mean, if you look at, uh, you know, most cars at least, you know, made in the last kind of five years, right They're, they're uh, they're full of computers and computer subsystems, right? I mean, you go in to get your car service. What what does the mechanic do? He checks out. He does a diagnostic, doesn't he? He plugs in, uh, basically, he plugs in a computer to your your vehicle to check that everything's working properly. So um, especially, you know, cars now, as you said, you know, fitted with Wi-Fi. I mean, you can cause the brakes to fail. You can cause the steering to fail. You can cause, you know, the engine to turn off. um, You can get up to all sorts of no good
0: yeah yeah definitely it's it that's the the danger isn't it The more you rely on computers and and computers being you know assimilated into our day to day lives the more possibility there is of turning those computers against us if somebody had the desire to do so but yeah since since starting my podcast I've reached out to you know, various people built out a, a bit of a source network and obviously I, I can't name these sources yeah. for, for various various reasons uh, but let's say they have some very very well-placed sources obviously you have your own sources as well and one of the things I'm hearing is that Havana syndrome has been responsible for at least one brain injury at Skinwalker Ranch. And let's just say the one that most people are aware of was a suspected state actor and not related to UAP exposure, as you may think that it would be possibly, you know, being Skinwalker Ranch. That was pretty surprising to me that it was a a suspected state actor behind that particular incident. I would have thought, as I say, it'd be more likely to be UAP-related being on the ranch or some other kind of effects. Um, why do you think a state actor would be targeting researchers at Skinwalker Ranch?
1: Well, first of all, that's, that's quite interesting. First of all, um, there was that uh, article with uh, Dr. Gary Nolan, right, in Vice, um, mm-hmm. and that's when he was talking about that he was looking at um, a, a cases at Skinwalker Ranch, yeah, and he said that it was, wasn't UFO-related he said it was um, uh, hostile a hostile actor, basically, didn't he, in, in that Vice article. That's and right. And then he's also just did, I think, with uh, in, with James Landoli on um, engaging the phenomenon. He just recently, uh, James asked him, this was in a podcast, I think it was about two or three days ago. I just listened to it this morning. Um, uh, James asked uh, Dr. Gary Nolan, he said, um, was this after ORSAP? i.e. The, 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 the case of, um, you know, of directed energy weapon being used. A- and he said, yes. So that, that indicates that it's sometime after Orsap. So it's sometime when may, either um, uh, Bigelow still owned the property uh, or um, um, Brandon Fugel had bought it. So um, that's quite interesting that he said that it was post-Orsap. i um, sorry, what was the second part of the question?
0: Yeah, Why would they be
1: attacking the researchers there?
0: Exactly, yeah. Well,
1: I think, um, I mean, I, I could kind of understand it more if it were during the ORSAT period, because you can understand, well, if it's such an important research project, uh, the Advanced Aerospace Weapon System Applications Program, the DIA, you could kind of understand a hostile state actor um, wanting to disrupt the research, okay? Um, but if it's post or SAP, and we we don't know if the d we don't really know if the dia is still involved um at skinwalker ranch or not so i would have to surmise in that case that a hostile actor is assuming that they still are uh, i.e the dia still is involved and that that hostile actor has an interest in disrupting any research that's going on there that's what what i would have to surmise from that
0: yeah, to try and throw a spanner in the works just in case they are actually managing to get any real progress behind the research that they're doing at the ranch. Do you th- think it's a case? Yeah,
1: I mean, I mean, look, look we, we see the TV programme, but we don't actually know what's going on there. There could still be DIA people there, right? We don't know, right? We just see what we see on the show.
0: Yeah, that's it. I, th- I think it's the, the entertainment side of it, isn't it, the actual show, and there's, there could well be a lot of other things going on behind the scenes. Brandon Fugel himself has said that they've they've made quite a lot of um, discoveries there, but they can't necessarily share them all. Do you, do yeah. you think that's... For- Quite likely, then, that the part of the reason that they can't share all of that is because there are still um, people involved from the US government uh, or whichever departments it is. I think that could explain some of the reason that they can't be fully transparent with what they've managed to find.
1: I would think very likely. I mean, look, ORSAP was, in, um, was interested in the ranch, okay? If you look at it from a threat perspective, you've got like, you know, portals, you've got uh, UAP and weird cryptid creatures coming through portals. So something is effectively coming into uh, you know American airspace, right? And you've got no control over it. Okay. Then you've got like uh, you know the stories of uh, you know the weird creatures, the um, you know kind of like direwolf type things that that you know get shot and like you know uh, regenerate themselves and uh, and can't be harmed by by firearms. So you'd be concerned about that as well, right? Then you've got the exsanguination of cattle. Um, within range of, of the of the rancher there's no blood around there's no tracks they can't figure out how it happened if you look at john alexander's book um ufos um uh realities myths and conspiracies i believe then uh, he actually says well there's only two uh, there's only two possibilities there's like you know some kind of invisible actor or it's a you know some kind of inter- interdimensional invisible actor or like an invisible ufo so You know, all these things would be highly concerning, but also as well as the DIA, you would want to have those technologies for yourself. First of all, you'd want to identify what they are, whether it's technology or whether it's some kind of, you know, uh, something kind of, you know, more paranormal. Um, You'd want to figure out what it is. You'd want to figure out exactly what threat it's presenting to you. You'd want to figure out how to counter those threats. And then also you'd want to figure out how to weaponize those threats because you'd want to have those capabilities if you haven't already got them. And then last of all, you'd want to stop any other actor from getting hold of those, uh, those technologies or those, you know, superpowers for want of a better word. Um, so you can understand why a hostile actor would, uh, um, would want to stop the Defense Intelligence Agency from progressing in those research areas, because, you know, it would give you a big leg up in the in, in, in the kind of the, the, the lethality stakes, if you can acquire those technologies or those kind of capabilities.
0: Yeah, I th- I think one of the things I'm hearing as well from um some from sources which I I can't go into is that Thomas Winterton who was actually the person who was the the sustained the injury during the actual filming of the TV show yeah. was actually a, was one of the uh, the injuries which is suspected to have been caused by a state actor. So that is quite specifically a person who is, you know, a, a, a private citizen you know not a, a member of the military or, or an intelligence service and is actively taking part in an entertainment show so do you think there's an element of it there where they could have targeted that individual because they knew that it, that case would get quite a lot of visibility you know to, to put a message out sort of thing
1: it could be uh it could be that he was just um i don't say just because i'm not like um uh you know, it was a terrible, terrible thing that happened to him. And you looked at those uh, those scans that they did of his brain, right? And that, that all that swelling that he had on the top of his of his head it was absolutely mm. horrific. Um, yeah, it could be a message. It could be that he was um, um, collateral damage. You know, they were, they were actually trying to get somebody else because I am actually told by another scientist that um, that you know these, if you're sending out these, these, these waves, and don't forget, this is well, this happened to. Um, families, diplomatic families, Canadian and American in Moscow as well, that, you know, people were getting sick, right? You know, uh, because, you know, that the waves aren't that specific, that just targets one person, or at least not back in the 1990s. So, you know, everybody in, who is in the house or in the vicinity would, would get sick. There was also a Canadian report that was done um, um, specifically to, to look at their embassy staff and the injuries that they'd got from Havana syndrome, and there was a, in, there were, this is very interesting, one of the family pets that they actually had in Havana, Cuba, um, had these, uh, you know, these same kind of lesions on the brain uh, that actually killed it, you know, that, that, that we saw um, Gary Nolan produce in that Vice article. So um, it can be, I would think that Thomas Winterton, you know, he, he could either have been du- directly targeted or he could have been uh, collateral damage. But either way, I mean, it's really, really horrific. And I mean, you know, the the, the pictures of of his head were really, really horrific to look at. And um, saying that, I've seen some really, really horrific pictures. Um, Since we last spoke, um, I've been sent a load of photos um, regarding two individuals. And on one of them, um, the... Literally, it was a, it was it was it was a it was a picture of their of the spine right taken from behind and all the vertebrae. Literally, they kind of they were sticking out like kind of baby's fists out of their back. They were that swollen, and they said uh, the swollen spine says it all. It says overheating your nervous system causes an upregulation of cerebral spinal fluid production in a in an attempt to cool it. Then your spine swells up horrifically and you start having crazy uh, spinal fluid leaks. They told me that your vertebrae basically start popping out of your back and you get feel this build up in pressure and then you feel something go pop and then you have all this uh, spinal fluid starts leaking down the back of your throat. And they told me it's so uh, salty that you end up having, um, they said literally, I I spent months um, choking on my own spinal fluid. I mean, that is horrific.
0: It, It really is horrific. It sounds like something out of a horror film, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty horrendous to just to even think that yeah, as humans we're capable of co- coming up with something that can do that to another human being but I suppose that's the, the nature of warfare isn't it but yeah
1: that's what so they actually said to me um the acute burns from a, a, a recent very high proximity attack looked like a sunburn and they sent me pictures of like both their hands their feet and also uh part of someone's face right so, they said the long term damage from repeated attacks looks like a rash. You can Google radiation induced dermatitis and see what the rash from long term exposure looks like, exactly like this. And then they sent me the pictures. So, it was horrific. I mean, it looked like somebody had been literally at like somebody's, you know, somebody had been uh, like standing too close to a radiator, is what it, what it looked like like their arms, their legs, their face. It looked absolutely terrible.
0: So, did that person survive? Yeah. 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 They did. But, uh, they, um,
1: one in particular, they have, um, a traumatic brain injury. Uh, they've developed Parkinson's as a result of it. I've actually seen them convulsing when I'm talking to them. Um, and they have, you know, kind of like long-term, long-term skin damage, obviously as well, uh, major gastrointestinal problems. Um, I also heard, uh, from another source, of a case where a whole load of engineers working in aerospace, somebody managed, to, um, somebody managed to get a poison. I don't know if it was a nerve agent or what it was. They managed to get an agent into the ice machine that everybody was basically using for, for their drinks in a facility. So that was another way that they got at uh, you know, aerospace people. So it, it's horrific.
0: Yeah. Well, thank goodness that the the person that you're talking about there is is uh, still around. That's that's kind of the main thing. They they, the they are,
1: there. but you know they, they're relatively young and um you know you've got to carry this for like the rest of the, the you know th- th- this is going to be with you for like the rest of your life, you know. Um and that's you know that's why they said they said it's it's like uh it's like um slow murder and torture. It's it, they said it's slow murder that murder that is roughly equivalent to actual torture. So
0: Do you think it's it's specifically I mean, I know you probably can't go into the details of, of that particular case, but do you think that was done as a deterrent sort of a, a, a warning shot as to, you know, we, we can take this further if, if we want to do to perhaps to prevent them from, from going into something in the future?
1: Um, the people that I talked to, it was uh, basically to um, to mess with their productivity because they're working on programmes um, and it was to stop you know to uh, greatly reduce their ability to work on those programs. Um, because also as well, I mean you know all, all these kind of attacks they, they create massive emotional and psychological stress as well, right? So mm. your your productivity is going to go right right down. And if you've got all these kind of like radiation burns to deal with and gastrointestinal problems and Parkinson's and traumatic brain injury and you've got you know permanent central nervous system damage, you know if if you're a scientist working on a project that's going to severely affect your productivity just as it would any of us right
0: Uh, absolutely that that's exactly what i was thinking i mean the the mental stress that must create you know the 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 psychological damage that is is kind of just as as bad in some ways as the physical effects
1: absolutely i mean um you know i'd say um definitely post-traumatic stress disorder definitely Definitely. I mean, you know, that living under that kind of level of stress for that long, um, you know, I know for myself, right, I've been in war zones, living under that amount of stress for a long time, you know, can can have permanent, you know, kind of deleterious effects on you. If you have to deal with that stress on an everyday basis, am I going to get, you know, am I going to be killed today? Am I going to be irradiated today? You know, what's going to happen to me today? That creates a permanent uh, uh, sense of tension in the individual so um you know which, which will lead to uh, you know to 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 problems like p t s d and, and a high level of stress, so you know i i'm i'm i have no doubt whatsoever that that's uh, that's probably just as deleterious as the actual physical effects themselves
0: yeah, so you were mentioning um that the the, the sunburn like uh, effect kind of like a radiation burn type of thing that is in some ways reminds me of People who have actually come into contact with um, UAP, uh, people have reported things like sunburn type uh, injuries. Do you think there's any chance that the the technology behind Havana Syndrome itself could be something that's been reverse engineered from UAP technology?
1: Um, from what I understand, I don't think so. Um, and I'll break this down into two parts. One, um, you know, people. We're already, you know, kind of like messing around with the idea of kind of directed energy weaponry kind of like back in the 60s and the 70s, okay? Um, I think, uh, you know, the being near a UAP, there's a famous case in Manitoba in 1967 where that guy called Michalak, I think his name was, um, he ended up getting fried because he he was too close to a a UAP when it was powered up. Um, Then there's obviously the Cash Landrum 1980 case where those two ladies, um, you know, got fried with hair falling out and all the rest of it. Um, I think um uh Paul Hill as well in his book uh unconventional flying objects um, which I've referenced quite heavily in my first paper um he talked about you know the kind of radiation effects from UAP I think radiation is radiation I don't from what I understand I don't believe that these weapons have come from UAP but then again you know maybe they were influenced by UAP but I think people understood um you know the effects of uh you know standing too close to to um Uh, something radioactive um you know quite from quite a while back right from the 40s and the 50s they understood that Mm.
0: yeah i've I've been trying to figure out if there is a link to uap with havana syndrome i mean lou elizondo has kind of hinted at some possible links there and sort of mentioned uap and havana syndrome in, in the same sentence and i think lou's comment was that we'd be hearing more about havana syndrome as the next couple of years unfolded um what what are your thoughts on that do you think there is a link well there
1: could very well be i mean cuz the uap they seem to have um some very sophisticated jamming capabilities yeah and um i think gary nolan uh, dr gary nolan in that vice article he was talking about um pilots uh who'd been in the vicinity of uh, of um of uap being affected and he was actually asked by uh, James Landoly, he actually asked him, oh, you know, did that involve the Nimitz case? And he, he just said, look, I'm not, I'm not going to answer because, you know, you don't want to have, um, you know, your medical, um, your medical history kind of out on the internet. So I think, I don't think there's maybe, uh, I don't think there's a link between um, UAP and hostile actors only insofar as hostile actors are trying to disrupt UAP programs, if you see what I'm saying. I think that that UAP... Uh, Like in the 1976 Tehran case, they've got very, very effective kind of electronic warfare capabilities. So they can, for example, they can shut down, um, you know, your weapon systems, okay, on an aircraft. So you can't fire missiles, but they can um, uh, not affect um, the the other avionics that you need to, to fly the aircraft. But we have heard from the Russians, like from Sokolov, that, you know, there were cases where Russian aircraft, you know, kind of spun out of control. Uh, because they're in close proximity to UAP. So whether that's a direct, um, a deliberate directed energy attack, effectively, like an electronic warfare or directed energy attack by the UAP, or whether it's as a result of the aircraft being in close, pro- the, 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 the terrestrial aircraft bringing in, in close proximity to the field produced by the UAP. Um, I'm not sure, but I, I, what I personally believe, from looking at cases like the 1976 Tehran case, from looking at the Nimitz case, that UAP, you know, they're able to jam aircraft and affect their weapon systems without actually making the aircraft, um, you know, lose control. So um, I think the radiation involved there might definitely have an effect on the, you know, the kind of the phys- physical kind of you know tissues, the brain, etc., of, of of the pilots involved. But, you know, to be honest, I don't know enough about it because, uh, one, I'm not a scientist, and two, I'm not in the classified world. But um, I'm. I'm. I'm uh, it would be very interesting to know a lot more about what Dr. Gary Nolan thinks about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, all indications, really, from what you're saying and from the various sources that I've spoken to and things like that, is that um, really the, the culprit behind Havana syndrome seems to be us you know humans uh rather yeah. than being uap which sort of suggests that we've got more to worry about from other humans than we've got from potential uh other intelligences elsewhere in the universe and, and perhaps you know the the link is just purely that you know th- some of the studies that have been done by people like dr gary nolan you know have there's been a bit of a gray area a bit of a crossover of um some of the people like like you say pilots who have been in in uh, exposed to uap and things like that and also people who have had brain injuries um as a result of uh, havana syndrome maybe that's the link you know that some of these high level scientists have been have been doing studies and, and found that actually there is a difference you know the ones that are causing injuries are, are actually the ones from from human actions like havana syndrome and and the uap exposure is is a slightly different thing where people aren't necessarily being negatively affected what are your thoughts on that
1: well it's very interesting you say that i mean if we go back to that vice article i mean dr gary nolan actually says uh you know that they basically knew that it was a a hostile actor because they said you can from the amount of damage to the brain right you, you, you can measure you know roughly uh how much energy was directed at them right so I think they know the difference between whether it's UAP related or hostile actor related, definitely. But don't forget, there's that um, there's that fantastically interesting case in, uh, from Calara's Brazil in 1977, where UAP were. It was over a period of like I think uh, you know, like months and months. Um, they were zapping zapping um, Brazilian villagers with directed energy, with, with like beams of light and directed energy. So. That is a case of, I think, uh, of UAP being hostile and uh, attacking uh, people with, you know, directed energy weapons. So that's quite an interesting angle, too.
0: Yeah, I mean that that particular case um, definitely points towards a danger. From, from UAP, doesn't it? That's for sure. Um,
1: yeah, and also I think, sorry, just um, and such a well-documented case because you had the Brazilian Air Force intelligence looked at it, the Brazilian Navy looked at it, and the Brazilian National Intelligence Service at the, ta- of the time uh, looked at it. Plus it was well-documented by, um, you know, uh, medical and psychiatric staff. So... I think that that is probably one of the most well-documented cases. There's actually a, there's a site um, on the web that people can like look up at Operacial Prato, Operation Plate or Operation Saucer. And you You look at that, and it's got all the documents uh, from the, or most of the documents from the Brazilian government, from the various agencies, and all the reports they did. I mean, it's very, it's probably one of the most well documented cases, anyway. Um, You know, my only problem is I I speak Spanish, I don't speak Portuguese. But uh, for anybody who does speak Portuguese, I mean, you've got a treasure trove case there.
0: Yeah, that that's definitely one for people to try and look into for any Portuguese speakers out there. I mean, there's there's a huge there's a huge
1: treasure trove. I mean, it's, it's got like a whole kind of like a, a whole kind of like a, a kind of tree diagram with all the documents from all the different um, agencies who looked at it. So you know, hundreds of pages to look at.
0: So I've seen a few people speculating that the U.S. military or intelligence uh, could be behind this testing out some kind of a new weapon of their own now i I personally think there's not very much likelihood of that given how serious the effects are and and who are the 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 majority of the actual victims um but what do you think do you think we can rule that out entirely
1: look if the what what, are the americans using directed energy weapons
0: well uh, are the the americans using these weapons against their own people
1: Well, I don't think so. I mean, they wouldn't need to do that, would they? They just get like a load of pigs or a load of goats and test it on that on on them, Um, which wouldn't be very nice for 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 the animals involved, obviously. But no, I don't. I think the days of you know the Americans doing nasty things to their own people. I mean, that was kind of like in the fifties and the sixties, and you know the Brits did that as well, didn't they? They kind of exposing their you know their 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 personnel to radiation and you know when they were doing nuclear tests and things like that. I think the days of like injecting, you know, kind of. um, you know, people with syphilis and all that kind of stuff, are, and giving people like you know LSD surreptitiously. I think those days of kind of experimenting on your own people are over, because um, there would just be simply there'd be too much blowback. And also, you don't have to do that now. I mean, you know, with the research, you, you, you just research it somewhere in quiet on animals, and then you know maybe field test it on a on a hostile actor. Right? You wouldn't need to to use it on your own people. There's, there's plenty of bad guys that you can zap. You only have to go to Colombia or Venezuela.
0: Yeah, I mean, that that's pretty much my thoughts. It's just something I wanted to touch on because I have seen people mentioning that, like, oh, it's the CIA testing out a new super satellite weapon. But as you said, it, it doesn't really follow with, with my line of thinking that, that that's what they would be doing. So I think, I think, personally, I think we can probably just rule that out entirely and, and focus on other areas.
1: Yeah, I mean, you'd have to ask, what would the Americans have to gain by experimenting on their own people? I mean, you know, they'd have a lot to lose. Right. I mean, you know, much better to test it out. You test it out first at a research facility and then, you know, you test it out on a hostile actor. Right. There's plenty of bad guys to get zapped in the world. I think, um, you know, obviously there have been a lot of conspiracies that that the US government has been involved in. But I think people kind of become too conspiracy minded and they see a conspiracy in everything just because they want to see a conspiracy, if you know what I mean.
0: Absolutely, I love that line. There's plenty. <laughs> there's plenty of bad guys to get zapped in the world. <laughs> it's a good one. But um, in, in the news recently as well, there has been a lot of uh, reports on uh, Havana Syndrome. It's it's actually kind of a, a strange thing in itself. How much uh, reports actually seem to, to to get done on on this topic. But what I wanted to ask yeah. you specifically is that there was there was one a couple of weeks ago, which suggested that the CIA had found in the majority of cases they didn't think it was a state actor and the news report that i read excuse me i think it was the bbc said that that investigation had not concluded yet but the preliminary results show that it's not a state actor now first of all that seemed a bit weird to me like is is that something that that happens you know like that the before the investigation is completed the the issue like a, a press release to news organizations to say, we've not finished the organi- the uh, investigation yet, but this is what we think. That seemed a bit odd. Have, have you heard of that kind of thing happening before?
1: Well, I mean, look, look at the preliminary assessment that we got on UAP, right? <laughs> um, mm. I, I found that CIA statement, yeah, they said the majority of reported cases um, can be reasonably explained by medical conditions or environmental and te- technical factors, right? So they said, it's unlikely that a foreign actor, including Russia, is conducting sustained worldwide campaign harming US personnel with a weapon or mechanism, right? So they, the CIA said that. But they did also leave and open the door to the possibility that some people have been attacked by a, an as-yet-unknown actor or device, saying uh, that you know a foreign actor's role hasn't been ruled out in specific cases. And they actually said, you know, we're still looking. So they've left the door open to it. Um, I just think it's going to be a, a major problem for... You know the, you know it's one thing if State Department employees are being and CIA are being attacked overseas in places like Cuba, in places like China, whether it's Moscow, wherever it is, it's one thing if it's happening overseas. You know, terrible and tragic as as it is for the people involved, and I mean, if you look at some of the, um, some of the recent, you know, there, there's a lot of stuff out there on the internet about you know the victims of it and how how it's literally wrecked their lives and, and they can't work anymore. So. You know, they're absolutely tragic cases, but it's one thing happening overseas. It's another thing if those same things, those same, you know, those same kind of that same kind of damage is being done to like scientists and personnel on United States territory, because then it becomes an act of war. So I think that, you know, the American intelligence community in particular, they'd have to be very, very, very careful. Um, about what they do or they don't say about the possibility of hostile actors operating on American soil. Just as, I mean, you know, look at the Brits during the, you know, the Skirpal, um you know, uh, agent poisonings. I mean, you know, they knew that it was the Russians. I mean, it, it, all, all the evidence pointed it to them, even though the, the, the Russians were kind of like denying it. Um, but, you know, it's basically an act of war. And it's how far do you let, because if you say that it's the Russians or it's the Chinese, then there has to be some kind of sanction, right? You don't want to get into a situation where uh, a hostile actor can just act with, act with impunity on your soil. But at the same time, you don't want to be in a situation where you have to start de- laying down ultimatums and you know escalating tensions internationally. So it's a very fine line to, 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 to walk. But I think that's the key kind of differentiator for me is what's happened to uh, american personnel and canadian personnel overseas and what's happened to personnel uh, on american territory
0: yeah what i'm trying to get my head around with it is the the messaging that's kind of been put out because like like you were saying there that uh, what i like what i mentioned is that the uh, preliminary report type thing that, that was reported on by the BBC and, and other news outlets was saying about uh, that the investigation is not concluded but we think that it's uh, not a state actor and then literally I think it was like a, a week later there was another BBC news article saying actually we kind of think that it is a state actor now at, at least in some some of the cases so do you think there's some kind of an effort to control narratives going on there? And do you think there's any significant, significance of the timing of that, you know, with what's going on at the moment with Russia?
1: I think very possibly. I mean, you had the uh, director of national intelligence, Haynes, right? So they, they released their executive summary was on, first of, on the 1st of Feb. Okay. So when they're talking about... It said it starts off on the executive summary and some of its redacted said the panel did not examine questions related to attribution of anomalous, anomalous health incidents, which is what they're calling it. So the panel did not examine questions related to the attribution of anomalous health incidents to an actor, including the question of whether a foreign actor may be involved. But then they're talking about they talk about uh, potential causal mechanisms. So they've looked at. acoustic signals chemical and bio agents ionizing radiation natural environmental factors and radio frequency and other electromagnetic energy then they go although it, it judge combinations particularly those involving chemical or biological agents to be worthy of further exploration so i think they are it seems to me reading between the lines there they are trying to steer it away from um saying that it's hostile actors um although they do talk about pulsed electromagnetic, man, 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 uh, sorry, pulsed electromagnetic energy. But I think if you read between the lines on that, and it is quite heavily redacted, um, they are trying to steer away from the idea of, uh, of hostile actors. I'm not sure if it's related to, um, you know, what's going on in Ukraine or what's going on between China and Taiwan, but very, very possibly um, that you would maybe want to kind of tamp down um any, any more excess tension, as it were, because if you have personnel being affected, especially on you know um, on American soil, let alone overseas, and it can be proven that it's Russia or China, then that dramatically raises tensions. Hmm. So that's just my humble opinion.
0: Yeah. So I don't think. You know, none of us want to live in a world where you can be zapped by some kind of weird technology as <laughs> you walk down the street, um, you know. But unfortunately, that's what we do as humans, isn't it? We, we come up with new and, and, and interesting ways – well, not not interesting, but new ways to, to kill each other and do harm to each other. Um, it seems like it would be very difficult to actually protect against something like Havana syndrome. So do you have any ideas about how you would go about – protecting yourself from from that sort of thing or how would you stop that technology
1: well it's very difficult um first of all you'd have to uh you know shield all the buildings that you're operating from right um and you'd also have to shield all the equipment um you know whether it's like you know like routers uh, mobile phones um you know they'd have to be kept in like faraday cages or shielded in some way um but of course you know once you leave the building and as any close protection professional will tell you the the most dangerous time for a target is when a target is on the move now remember we talked about the sunburn aspect of it and i've been told by by people that literally you know you look out the window and the side that's facing the window is the side that gets burned so once you're out on the ground um you know somebody can zap you with a with, with a portable um you know a directed energy weapon emitter um So even if you shield, for example, say you were in Moscow or you are in Beijing, even if you shielded, like, you know, the whole embassy and everything, you'd have to shield all the accommodation. Then you'd have to uh, somehow be able to shield the vehicles when you're travelling to and from the accommodation, if you know what I'm saying. So there's always going to be some point at at which you can be got at. Um, So I think it's very, very difficult. Um, I was having a chat with um, Colonel John Alexander, um, actually, about... um, um the sort of resilience of, of, of national security infrastructure um, to electromagnetic pulse, right so it would literally just be too expensive and just unfeasible to shield absolutely everything um, against uh, directed energy weapons. I mean you know what are you going to do? You have to shield every government building in the US, every embassy overseas, every 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 uh, you know accommodation block it's, it's a lot to do plus all the equipment.
0: Yeah, that, that's kind of what I was thinking. You'd have to every, every single vehicle, every single building that, that anybody you know who, who could possibly be a target would would go into. You'd have to. It'd be a hell of an undertaking, wouldn't it, to um, yeah. take yourself against this as a country?
1: Yeah, and, and and you know, it goes back to that whole thing. I mean, um, I've talked to scientists about you know the you know directed energy weapons in space, um, and you know you you can get zapped at one point or another you know you, you can be targeted if somebody wants to get at you they'll get at you
0: yeah well on that uh, on that note <laughs> i think that's about all we've got time for uh, for today frank so thanks very much for uh, for joining us once again uh, much appreciated
1: thanks very much for having me on buddy
0: pleasure UFO People Podcast